Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features founding pastor Ken Werlein and was recorded on Sunday, September 26th. This sermon is part three of our series on the Ten Commandments, How to Be Human. We're glad you tuned in, and if you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. in person, or you can join us online at faithbridge.org live. Here's Ken. Well, good morning. Welcome, whether you're in this room, the live service, or whether you're in the communion service, or whether you're online, however it is that you're here, we're glad you're here. Take your Bibles. We'll go to Matthew chapter 5 in just a few moments in the New Testament. And if you need a Bible, why don't you just wave at one of the ushers? They'll be glad to let you borrow one, and you can keep it if you need one. While you're turning there, I'll remind you of something that you might remember Two years ago, Keith Thomas Kinnaman showed up at the West Freeway Church of Christ outside Fort Worth wearing a trench coat, which was concealing the rifle that he took out during worship and shot two people before a reserve deputy sheriff took him out. Hearts across the nation were heavy throughout that day, particularly among those of us who spend our days serving the Lord in the local church. And right on cue, within, I don't know, an hour or two, conservative politicians were posting prayers and condolences and liberal politicians said, enough with the prayers, enough with the condolences. We need gun control. It's the typical banter back and forth for several days Nothing ever changed except the news cycle over the course of about a week. But regardless, if where one falls, no one disputes the fact that was a tragedy that happened that day. Because intrinsically, deep down, everybody just knows that murder is wrong. Every single human life, Lou Smeads wrote, whether rich or poor, good smelling or bad smelling, whether elect or reprobate, whether satisfying or irritating, every single life is sacred. And this is why God put sacred life behind a sacred hedge. In the sixth commandment, which is the one we're going to talk about today as we continue our journey through the Ten Commandments. You see this one in Exodus 20, 13. Simply put, thou shalt not murder. Pretty well sums it up, so I guess we could go home at this point, but I think there's a few other things to say, and, and I know what some of you are thinking after last week's strong talk that uh, Dan gave us on, on lying and the one before that on lusting. Many of you came to church today thinking, well, I kind of hope the sermon doesn't apply to me today, and so far you're like, so good, you know? I think I'm off the hook on this one. Never killed anybody. I think I'll work on the grocery list. Not so fast. I want you to stay tuned. Others of you, you're thinking, I bet with this subject, he's going to lead in and talk maybe some about abortion, murder of the unborn, suicide, murder of the self, 
Maybe he's talking about self-defense or the death penalty or warfare. No, not going to. You'll be disappointed if, if uh, you were wanting uh, some strong statement against the death penalty or warfare from this verse because the Hebrew word for murder here had nothing to do with the death penalty or warfare. And though the Hebrew word for murder does pertain to all matters of personal, private morality and would thus include abortion or suicide, the Lord reminded me as I was preparing the last week that FaithBridge has for years had crystal clear statements that we post online uh, that you can access any day of the week, any time of the day. You can read exactly what our convictions are on those issues. Just go to faithbridge.org slash beliefs and you can read about those uh, positions and others there. Uh, I think though rehashing what we've already said might let a lot of us off the hook today because though suicide and abortion have certainly impacted a number of people hearing my voice today and my sadness for you is sincere. Um, plenty of others of you, you've never dealt with either not abortion nor suicide maybe you never had that even in your family and 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 so it could be easy maybe for you to sit off a little bit smug a little bit aloof sort of looking at those people those people who've had abortions or those people who've struggled with suicidal thoughts or even had suicide in their family and because if you never walked a certain pathway it can be tempting to sit smugly. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing in the days of Jesus when he stepped in to talk about this sixth commandment. Those Pharisees were sitting very smugly themselves. Murder, <laughs> the sixth commandment, moi, nope, I'm all good on that one. No murder here, spotless, to which Jesus says, well, don't strain your shoulder trying to pat your back so much. Because though you may have never killed anybody outwardly, you think there's no blood on your hands. But I can look inside your heart. I can look inside your mind and I see the mess that's going on in there. And so I want us to look at this passage in Matthew 5 where he essentially republishes Ten Commandments and talks more extensively about this sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And we're gonna see once again that as he so consistently does, he, he doesn't just talk about the don't do, but he enjoins the negative to the positive and says here's what you should do instead. So let's read it, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anybody who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anybody who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anybody who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. He's talking pretty strong here. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. Verse 43, 
You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that, you're, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sins rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that much? And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Tim Keller says, it's near impossible for anyone to come out from studying these verses uh, unscathed. They pretty well will hit all of us. And I want to call to your attention three things. If you're a note taker, three things that he's telling us in this passage about anger and hatred. Here's the first one. Anger and murder they're progressive. They're progressive. See, murder, it never starts with a knife. It never starts with a gun. No, it starts with the, this emotion called anger. That's where it all starts. Because when you dislike somebody, what begins to happen? Well, over time, you begin to think of them a little bit less and you depersonalize them by calling them a name or using ridicule and your heart develops this contempt, this disgust for that person, which puts you right at the doorstep of murder. This is what he's gonna say in verse 23. See, look at it, look at this progression. But I tell you, anybody who is angry, put the number one by angry will be subject to the judgment. Again, who says, uh, anybody who says to a brother or sister, Raka, you could put in English, stupid, and put a number two by that word in your Bible, is answerable to the court. And anybody who says, you fool, the Greek word is moros, which means moron. You could put a three by that. Anger, stupid moron you'll be in danger of the fire of hell he's talking about serious stuff here friends so see what happens is 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 in our hearts and minds if we're not careful we say you know i'm really angry at john or mary or whoever and that turns into this thinking you know he's really so stupid to do what he did or to believe what he believes and then over time John or Mary just become that nameless person, that moron. In fact, when we depersonalize someone, just like the Nazis did in the concentration camps where they gave them numbers, not names, it's easier to, to say, you know, the world would just be better off without him, without her. And Jesus is saying, look, even if you don't murder a person's body, you can still do a lot of damage. You can murder their self-esteem. You can murder their reputation. You can murder their will to live. And this is why Jesus goes further than just the literality of murder, physical murder, and says, no, 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 this also includes harming anybody by way of insult or emotional attack. So there's a boy named Brian who was in a congregation pastored by a friend of mine and he pastor says Brian was a remarkable kid he was he was talented he was handsome he was full of life 
struggled with his sexuality, and because of that, he experienced relentless teasing, torment, ridicule, bullying. At school, in the hallways, kids would slap little sticky notes on his back that said crude things without him even knowing. And when he was old enough to get a car, and that's a pretty big day in any teenager's life, somebody came along and keyed it right across the paint job. His classmates, they were just, they were relentless, cruel. And finally, Brian just got so tired of fighting to be accepted and loved that he took his own life. And the worst thing about that story isn't just that Brian committed suicide. It's the reality that so many other people played a hand in that murder. They played a role in it. First, they killed his joy. Then they killed his self-esteem. Then they killed his hope. And then when most everything else was dead inside of him, he just finished off the rest, his body. See, Jesus isn't so concerned about just the outward killing of a person's body. No, he understood this is a progressive thing, people. You have to see. That's why you better watch out if you're starting to call somebody a stupid, idiot, moron. You start doing that sort of thing, you're getting close to stepping in some pretty quicksand. You're getting in yourself a mess. And you won't even need to pull out a gun to shoot somebody in the head because with that tongue of yours, you just whip that thing out and you carve them up pretty well. And then we show up to church the next week with not a care in the world for what we did to somebody who else was made just like we are in the image of God. And when we do that, don't you see, we're just replicating the story of Cain and Abel. What happened in that first murder? Cain, a brother, was envious of his brother Abel. And so what did he do? He commits the first murder. This is nothing new. And then God comes and says, hey, tell me about, to, to, you know what, I'm going to Cain, or, or to Abel. What does Cain say? He says, am I my brother's keeper? And we do that. It's just a text. It was just a post. It's just words. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? To which Jesus says, yes. If you're my follower, then you are. What did he say the night before he went to the cross? John 13, a new command I give to you. Love one another. By this, everybody will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. So he's, he's saying, first off, this is a progressive thing. You've got to watch out. Realize there's a progression here. Second thing, anger and hatred, they're not just progressive. They're also divisive. They're divisive. You know what disappoints me uh, perhaps most uh, about the last year and a half. It's not that we've been through a pandemic. It's not that we went through a very volatile election. It's not that we've had racial unrest and tensions uh, surfacing or, or that we're, it's not even that we're not of one mind and divided on issues of masks and, and vaccine effectiveness. No, no, what really bothers me is that Christians are turning upon Christians and they're doing each other in. 
like enemies. Did you see the movie Hotel Rwanda some years ago? If you did, then I bet you left the theater the way that I left the theater that night with Suzanne, shaking my head, because I didn't really know that history, and wondering how did the Hutu Rwandans get so worked up with hate toward the Tutsi Rwandans to, to have actually hauled off and killed more than half a million of them in the course of three months in the genocide of 1994. I'll tell you how it happened. Because those Hutus allowed the devil to so fill their hearts with hatred for those that were different from them that they concluded, you know, the world will just be a better place if we just cancel those Tutsis out altogether. This is why Jesus says, you better watch out. You're playing with fire here with this anger and this hatred. It's serious, he's saying. It's serious enough that you, you better even just get up and go on out of church right now. You better go make amends and, and get this thing worked through. You can come back to church. So you have to understand, in this day and age, if you feel a call of nature, you'll slip out to the bathroom. You'll come back in. Yeah, we see that. It's all right. You know, or if you have a baby that's crying, you'll slip out and go to the cry room. Yeah, that's kind of how things roll these days. Back in those days, no, 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 you didn't stand up in the middle of the worship service and walk out. Not for anything you didn't. No, and so if you're sitting there in the worship service and you remembered back then that, you know, oh gosh, I left the stove on high and the pot roast is in there, you, you would just have to conclude, well, that's gonna be a burnt offering to the Lord. And because I'm not stepping over six people and walking out, you just wouldn't do it back then. But Jesus says, no, let me tell you how serious this is. He's so concerned. He says, yeah, you better stand up right in the middle of church. You better get on up, walk on out. You better reach out towards that person, to him or to her. And you better make some amends. Which is not to say that you'll even come to a point of agreement, but you've got to at least come to a point of agreeing to disagree amicably. And once you get that worked out, you come on back and you can finish up at worship. Because Jesus said, you got to take this seriously. This is serious. Because when Christians turn on Christians, when believers turn on believers, you know what's happening? We're giving into the world's scorched earth tactics. And when we scorch another believer, you know who wins? The devil wins. And if the devil wins, the world loses. If believers are fighting believers, who will be left to be salt and light and bring hope and joy and love to the world? That's why he calls us to do more. Jumping down to verse 43, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Wrong, Jesus says. I'm gonna tip that over. I'm gonna tell you, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you that you may be known as children of your Father in heaven. And so in the past years, year and a half, I, I, I received more mail, more emails of, of a volatile nature in just that year, year and a half than I had in the, in the prior 25 years all added together. I got some heaters, like a stack of them. And people were losing their minds. And, and it was kind of scary there. 
Among the choices of them came a note uh, from this guy whom I'll call Pete. And he was hot and bothered about something I'd said or done or not done or said enough of. And he hauled off and he just writes in kin, resign, period. Your church is a disgrace. He said some other choice things. Then he said, resign. Well, now I can talk about it now. It's like, well, it's another day at the office. But <laughs> I'll tell you, back in the midst of it all, that, 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 that was very deflating, very discouraging. And, and after feeling discouraged after an hour or two, I started feeling angry. And I thought about just calling them up and saying, hey, you know, Pete, I got your email. And you know that course that they offer people in seminary on how to lead a church through pandemics? Well, I didn't take that one. <laughs> so how about cut me some slack, you know? And, and, but I didn't make that call either. I just, I just told Janice, yeah, we'll, we'll sidestep that one. Let's just pray for him. So you can imagine my shock when months later I got a, another note from Pete. It was totally different. I said, hi, Ken. My apologies for that note I wrote a while back. I, I shouldn't have sent that. I'm only concerned about the gospel and will focus on those issues. Press on, my man. Sincerely, Pete. I was floored. I wrote right back, Pete. You've made my day. Thanks so much for writing. Apology accepted. Trust me, I know this year was really hard on a lot of us, but, but not many people have come back with your level of maturity. It speaks really highly of your spiritual maturity. Your humility does. And you're right on. We who follow Jesus, we've got to be, be about the gospel. And you know what happened? Pete and I not only exchanged some more notes to, uh, together back and forth, but his action inspired me to do some self-analysis and say, well, who do I need to go back and make some amends to? Because I can be pretty fierce myself, and I can say some things that I regret too, and came up with a, a few people that I realized, I need to, I need to, I need to go back, because I, I, can, I can be kind of rough with my own tongue. I went to couple people's homes, sat down, said, I just feel like I just need to apologize to you. Um, had some phone calls along the same lines. And you know something? In every one of those situations, good things followed. Which leads to the third and final thing. Anger and hatred are conquerable. They are conquerable. Seeing as he calls us in verses 43 to 47 to love our enemies, they must be conquerable. But here's the deal. They're not conquerable on your own strength. It's not like, well, I'm just going to try really hard today and then maybe I'll conquer it. No, no, no. Save your time. I was reading an article speaking of the other day of, an, of a psychologist that was talking about the perils of hatred and anger. And I thought, well, this is relevant. And, and it culminates with, and here's what you should do. And so I was like, okay, what should I do, sir? He, he starts off with the standard fare, you know, list of take 10 deep breaths before you respond, count to 10, slowly try yoga, take a walk, take a cold shower, cool off, listen to some calming music. And I turned the page and that was the end. End of article. I'm like, what? 
Don't you know there's more? There has to be more. And there is more. And the more comes through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, the truth that our great God, who could have looked upon all of us sinful, selfish, hateful, hard-hearted people and say, you all, all of you, you're a mess and you all deserve to go to hell. And he wouldn't have been wrong to have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he said, but I love you. And I love you so much, I'm gonna move towards you. And I wanna come inside of you and I wanna transform you from the inside out. And this is why our great God sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to live the life of sinlessness that we could never live so that he could die the death of punishment that all of us deserved so that he could conquer the grave that none of us could have hoped to have conquered. And then he says to each of us, now I wanna give you a new heart and I wanna put a new spirit in you and I wanna remove from your heart of, you, your heart of stone and put inside of you a soft heart flesh. It's that new heart that we need, friends. And it's available to us. Because once we've experienced his forgiveness, well, a forgiven heart becomes a forgiving heart. Just asked Victoria Ruvalo asked those who knew her. In 2004, a group of six teenagers, knuckleheads, they stole a credit card and they bought foolish things that they didn't need, like a 20-pound frozen turkey that 19-year-old Ryan Cushing tossed out the window as they were driving. That frozen turkey became a projectile that smashed into Victoria's windshield, shattering her esophagus, shattering bones throughout her face, causing major, major damage. And she would have to go into to, to surgery for 10 hours. And she would have to go through nine months of therapy just to get back to work. Meanwhile, Ryan, he was arrested, and after all of that, the DEA came to Victoria and asked her to testify, because Ryan was looking at upwards of 25 years, and Victoria described the day that she showed up in court for the sentencing, and she said, I just watched this young man walk in wearing a suit, which looked three times too big for him, made him seem so and he hung his head down and he looked so upset with himself. And when I saw that, my heart just went out to him and he just, it looked like a lost soul. Adam Hamilton in his book, 10 Commandments, writes about it. Instead of demanding punishment, Victoria asked the judge for amnesty, a reduced sentence. And because of her, the judge gave Cushing six months in prison and five years of probation. After it was over, they were walking out. He veered towards her and began to walk towards her. And the cops were about to jump on him, but they, they let transpire 
what looked to be ready to transpire. He approached her sobbing in tears. He said, I never meant for this to happen to you. I prayed for you every day. And I'm so glad that you're doing well. And she said, this motherly instinct just came over me. And all I could do was take him in my arms and cuddle him like a little child. And I just whispered into his ears, just do something good with your life now. Talk about amazing grace. Victoria devoted the rest of her life to helping troubled kids teaching other the power of forgiveness of letting things go she victoria lived the victorious gospel that jesus came to bring she showed mercy she extended love instead of demanding harshness and in the process she found freedom herself from bitterness and resentment and in their place she found a life of meaning a life of purpose and a heart filled with love so Moses, he told us, don't kill. But Jesus went even further. Jesus said, don't even harm others. Don't return insults. Don't post trash about others. Love your enemies. Forgive those who persecute. How much should I forgive them? Another place he'll say 70 times seven. In other words, endlessly he said I want you to be followers of this way because this way is the way and see if you don't step into this way following the way and experience inner shalom and peace inner contentment and this matters so much friends this matters church because if we we the ones who say we have the holy spirit living inside of us we who say we have the risen christ working within us if we don't live any different than the rest of this broken shattered world who in the world will that's why we have to we're called to more and to better as we close, I want to give you four brief application points. So jot these down. Put them on your fridge this week. You can talk about it with your family over lunch as well. Here's the first one. Surrender yourself to Christ. You say, I've already done that. Maybe you need to do it anew. I, I think there's any number of us who we've trusted in the gospel, we've trusted in Christ, but you did that a long time ago. And if we were to look at your social just from this past week, we'd say, it doesn't look so sanctified. Maybe it's time for us just to surrender ourselves anew to Christ. He never promised um, that we wouldn't have irritating people in our life. He just said, you can't kill them. <laughs> Instead, he says, I want you to love them to death. Kill your enemy by loving him or her until she dies as an enemy and rises again to be reborn as a friend. That's not easy, and it may cost you some, some prestige, some reputation even. But if you'll do it, you won't be going anywhere that Jesus didn't first go himself. Second thing, forgive and ask 
forgiveness. You, you know, have you ever gone to Fuddruckers or maybe it's just any meat market and, and you see those big slabs of meat just hanging on the hooks? I was thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot of us and we kind of have these meat hooks that we just sort of put people on and we carry them in our soul there. And here's the reality, friends. You can't move forward. You can't, you'll not be a follower of the way if you're leaving people on the hook. And so I, I just kind of felt like the Lord was saying, no, to, today, why don't you do what Jesus did? Who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I'm going to take him, I'm going to take him or her off that meat hook. Because as Romans 12 says, as far as it is from me to you, let us live at peace with everybody. Third thing, let's pray for our enemies. Pray for your enemies. Do you have a prayer list? I hope you do. Many of you have. You have got your prayer list and your devotional patterns and this sort of thing. But I wonder, do you have a prayer list of your enemies? That's <laughs> a new exercise. It, just go ahead and list out. These are the people that just really, you know, I, I have a hard time with. And, and, and because here's what, you'll, here's what you'll discover. I've discovered this time and time again. Time does not heal. You always say time heals pff, baloney. Time doesn't heal squat. But I tell you what does is prayer. You pray for somebody day after day and something will begin to happen in your heart and, and things will begin to grow soft and God will begin to put the seed of love inside of you for that person who just weeks prior you'd say, you know, it's fine with me if you go straight to hell. Do not collect $200. Do not, you know, pass. Go. He says, no, pray for them and see if something does begin to change. And so I went through this even just recently I was at odds with them. I'm not enemies. We're friends. But we just were just really at loggerheads about something. And, and said, let's just give this four weeks. And so I, I prayed about it. And, and nothing changed for 27 days. But the morning of the 28th day, my wife, Suzanne, she came in to my study. She says, you know, I've been thinking about that situation. That I kind of felt like maybe the Lord told me to share this with you. And in that moment, there it was. And it all came clear. Time doesn't really change things, but prayer does. Last of all, friends, you've got to realize your words matter. So let's use our words to bring life. Because there's power in the tongue. The tongue has the power of life and the power of death. So which is it going to be for you? As Ephesians 4 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building up others. And, and, and this isn't a, uh, a, an action step to be passive about. This is like be proactive. Imagine if all of us set a reminder on our phone, just like a daily little alarm, note to self, speak a word of encouragement to some person, one person out there, maybe somebody you work with, maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member, family member, that's pretty important. Um, you could probably do more than one. But imagine if we, if we began to speak blessings, since we're people of the light, since we're people who are part of this marvelous light called out of darkness, if we began to speak words of light every day, if you did that for one or two people, imagine if several thousand of us were doing that every single day till, till Halloween, that's five weeks from today. Imagine the thousands of 
of blessings that would go out into the world. Maybe you do it by initiating a meal, saying, you know, let's sit down, let's have, a, let's have coffee, let's have a meal. Because when you break bread together with somebody, it, it, all of a sudden you realize, you know, they're not that bad. Um, but don't sit back and don't wait. No, no, we have to be proactive as followers of Christ. We gotta push the darkness back. Because we're part of this marvelous light. Send a text, send an email, leave a voicemail for them. And if we did that, I'm telling you, friends, we would be part of a revolution, which is the revolution to which Jesus called us, the revolution of love. Let's be that kind of person. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for how you could take one of the hardest commandments that any of us might have been tempted to sit off aloof and feel pretty smug about. But by the time you're done with this, we realize I've got a lot to, I got a lot to do here. I got a lot of surrendering. I got a lot of relinquishing. I got a lot of forgiving. I want to be a person who is using my tongue, whether it's spoken or whether it's coming through my fingers on texts and such. I want to use it for good. Wouldn't you help us, Lord, to be people who are stepping out of the darkness into the marvelous light, that kingdom to which you call all of us, Lord. And if you've not trusted in Jesus, I invite you even now, today, in this moment, why don't you just pray, Jesus, I'm, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. Fill me full of your spirit. Put a new heart inside of me that I might walk according to your ways and purposes and plans for my life. I want to be a follower. We're praying all of these things in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Jesus.